I hope uh, this weekend you're able to take some time to remember uh, those that have gone before us. And for some of you, it's just uh, a simple matter of thinking about a family member or somebody that has served in such a way they gave their ultimate sacrifice. But the freedoms that we enjoy, we're deeply, deeply grateful for. And even some of the debate we see uh, broadly in our culture about those very freedoms reminds us of their importance. And so my hope is that uh, gratefulness will uh, overflow in your heart and that you'll take some time to, to give thanks. Uh, so a couple of things going on that we want you to know as we get ready to get into this week and some changes are happening across our state as uh, the those who are in charge of uh, setting those kinds of rules about restrictions and such figure out how to open up um, either local businesses and even churches. And so there is a gathering that we will have this week on Wednesday night uh, via Zoom, a video conferencing tool that we've been using for all kinds of things, staff meetings, Bible studies, leadership team meetings. And we're sort of inviting the entire church to participate in one of those gatherings. And so uh, the link was in our e-news that came out uh, over the weekend here, our e-bulletin. It'll be in e-news again this week. If you're not connected to that email-wise, just send us an email to info at castleoaks.org, and we'll send you the link, and be sure that you're registered for all the other emails. It'll happen at 6 o'clock on Wednesday night. If you would like to have a specific question answered, you have a specific concern, then drop me an email, philvon at castleoaks.org. And if you're not somewhere, you can write that down or remember that. Just hop on our website and you can email me from there or send it to info as well. We want to get all those questions answered so that we, as we prepare to welcome people back in this room uh, we want you to feel safe and know exactly what you can expect. So send those in Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. It'll last about an hour, and we would love to have you there and be a part of that. Um, over the last week or so, maybe you've noticed around town uh, lines of cars and decorated cars, or maybe you drove by one of the high schools if they, as they've been celebrating graduations. Of course, it's not just graduation for high school, but college as well. And so we want to recognize and be sure that you know who is a part of your church family that throughout this pandemic is celebrating some sort of milestone of graduation. And so we've put together a little slideshow. In fact, Don and Chrissy Talley uh, gathered all of this and put it together. We'd love for you to at least acknowledge some of these folks and maybe send them a text or, or maybe even a graduation gift if they're friends of yours. Here are some of the graduates that are a part of our, our church here at Castle Oaks. Here, just these next two minutes are just for the graduates. Uh, all the studies show that the number one predictor of success in your life, whatever success looks like, doing well, accomplishing what you want to, maybe being financially independent or what have you, is really one quality, and that is resiliency. And resiliency happens, is built up, is developed in our lives when we experience difficulty. I mean, that's a little bit of good news for everyone that's listening because of the last couple of months and maybe even more hard times to come through this pandemic, we're all going to build up a, a, a sort of or at least a little bit of resiliency. But for graduates who are expecting to have open houses, to celebrate with their friends, to walk across the stage in view of everyone that had supported them and many others, and now to have that taken away, well, that's uh, unbelievably difficult and painful. And we'll build up an immense amount of resiliency. The writer of Hebrews says, endure hardship as a teacher. Uh, the word in the Greek, we translate it discipline, but it is all about teaching. And so if you can endure what's happened over the last 
several weeks as the last half of your senior year unfolded in a very different way than you expected and allow God to teach you what you can learn about this, well, it's the very heart of the gospel. Paul talks about it in Philippians that he experiences suffering as his understanding of what it means to become more like Jesus. So here's what I'm pretty confident of. In the next several years, we will be hearing about the graduates, high school and or college of 2020, and the things that they've accomplished and the things that they're achieving. And we will have at least a very basic elementary understanding that all of that occurred because of the resiliency that was built up during the last half of their senior year. And so our prayers are with you and for you as you launch out into the next chapter of your life, and we can't wait to see what you do next. So just a few minutes today about Philippians 3. Uh, we're going to wrap up this series next week, and, and you know, spoiler alert to our Wednesday meeting, we'll be welcoming a few people back into this room and trying to do it in a way that's careful and thoughtful and allows everybody to be safe but as we push toward wrapping it up, this series, While We Wait, is, of course, taking place while Paul's in prison under a lockdown of his own. And he is experiencing things that I would suspect would put him in a place of maybe self-pity or maybe bitterness or maybe anger. And maybe he's working through all of that, but that's not, we hear, not what we hear about in the book of Philippians in this letter what we're reading about is Paul moving forward, even while he's chained to some Roman guards. And so we're in the last half of chapter three, and maybe you've read it this week. If not, you can read it this coming week. But in this section of scripture, Paul uses this, this phrase, press on. He uses it twice. And this is some athletic imagery that gives us a picture of what he's hoping for, or what he's trying to accomplish in his life. But this, this picture of an athlete who is a competitor who's running a race, Paul says at least twice, he says, press on. Now, Look, I know if you're anything like me, you're weary. I know you long for some sense of normalcy. And I know that we're tired of uncertainty. But as it turns out, Paul, of course, felt all those very same things while he was under his own lockdown. And it probably is at a time like this, when this message of what it means to press on, some translations take this very same Greek phrase and, and say it differently. Run with passion, make every effort. I keep working, I press on. Paul is explaining what resiliency looks like in the face of uncertainty. And so apparently this is key and it's critical to living out faith. And so I don't believe that that means that when we don't press on, we're failures. I mean that pressing on is important to remember even when you feel like you failed, or even when you feel like you can't go further, or even when you feel like uncertainty has you completely playing a guessing game most days. And I know for me, my friends who are pastors and other people that I know, other friends and other vocations, everyone that's trying to figure out their summer school is over, now all kinds of things are shifting and changing again. Paul's message is all the more important. He tells us what it looks like to press on. So let me just walk through a couple of verses of this before we send you out to just enjoy what's left of your Memorial Day weekend. Here's what Paul says, Philippians 3, 12, verse 12. 
he explains, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Now, you've got to go back maybe just a bit and remember last week. Paul talks about how he gave his resume, his Jewish resume, and he's decided all of that is rubbish. All of that is not worth even counting toward his credit. He just wants to know Christ. And he describes sort of a, a perfect image, if you will, of somebody who has set aside all of their accolades, all of their failures, all the good, all the bad, and has now decided that knowing Jesus is really the end goal of their entire existence. Now, that could make it sound like that Paul has got everything together, that he's figured it all out, that he's arrived. And he wants to be sure that the Philippians know this. He says very similar things in Romans and in Corinthians. He says this, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. There's this risk of, of people thinking that as Paul preaches and teaches that he's got it nailed. And he wants to be sure that nobody thinks this. And so over and over again, Paul says things like this in his letters. I am the chief of sinners. Not just one among sinners. He's the expert at sinning. He writes to the church at Corinth, when I came to you, it wasn't with powerful words. It was with weakness and trembling, Paul writes. I'm not a powerful person. My words might sound powerful, but really I am a, a weak man over and over and over again. Now, all of us are in positions of influence and we have the opportunity to connect with others, whether it's through work or neighbors or family members. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is this, this sense that people around us might grasp the idea that we sit in judgment of them or that we've already obtained the perfection of our faith or that we have the answers. And I don't know why that we come off that way. I don't know why we are perceived that way, but we could take a lesson from Paul as he opens this section of scripture in Philippians chapter three, that he says it over and over again. I've not obtained it. I'm not already perfect. Here's what we learn from Paul. Look, if you lead with your failures, then people somehow find their way to Jesus. If you lift yourself up as an example, then usually you will find that others will tear you down. But with Paul, we learn that weakness is what brings about God's strength. When we lead with our failures, then we let the light shine only on Jesus alone. Now, there's all kinds of reasons why we might not want to do that. Ego, insecurity, the list is long. But what Paul says is, look, I've not... I've not made it. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. I'm the chief of sinners. I show up in weakness and in trembling. But as he engages in the discussion with the Philippians about what it means to press on, he wants everyone to know, first of all, he has so far to go in his walk with God. And what he's saying is key and it's important. Not that I've already obtained this, but then he goes on to say this, but I, and here's the word, he says it twice in this passage, but I, I press on and I want to make it my own. What, what does he want to make his own? Well, he just got done talking about the righteousness that belongs to Jesus and that he is not righteous. He wants all of us to know that he is pressing on to make the righteousness that Jesus gave his very own, but he also wants you to know the only reason he's doing this is because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Both are true. I have to live my life, this side of heaven, moving toward Jesus. And I, and I have to 
press on. I have to make every effort. I have to keep on following. But I do that knowing and believing and understanding that at least in one sense of this concept, this idea of righteousness, the work is already done. It's already finished. And yet this side of heaven, I find myself also a chief of sinners, failing time and time again. So we haven't obtained it. We press on. Christ Jesus has made me and he's made you his own. Your identity is in him. It's not in your career, your accomplishments. It's not in your failures or your successes. It's not in the hope of your future or the dread of what is to come. It's only in Christ. The work is finished. And even though the work is finished, I still have to press on. Even though we're in the middle of uncertainty, I still press on. And so then he continues, the very next verse, and he says this, Brothers and sisters, he wants you to know again, he's going to repeat himself a bit, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but there is one thing that I do. Catch what he does. Important, again, imagery of an athlete, imagery of somebody competing in a game or a race. There is one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I strain, I strain, I move toward what is ahead. Now, Paul doesn't want you to think that he has disregarded or forgotten his past. In fact, Paul will remember it very often in his writings. He talks about his past. In fact, in the previous chapter, part of the chapter, he talked about his, his legacy and his, his resume as a Jewish man. He will reference his past often. And so he has not actually forgotten about his past. It's in his mind. I think what Paul is saying more than anything else is he wants you to know and he would want you to carry this mindset as well that he is not constrained by nor is he focused on his past. He's not constrained by it. He doesn't believe because he's failed once before he'll fail again. Nor is he focused on his past, allowing his resume to create his identity or allow his ego to be fed by it. He's not constrained by or focused on it. For Paul, what matters most is looking ahead, looking forward, knowing that Christ has already taken a hold of it, but he has to press on too. So what could it be? What part of your past might constrain you? What part of your past might become your focus if you're not careful? Well, it could be a grudge. It could be a lack of forgiveness that you give to somebody else that you need to release them of what they owe you, what you think they owe you. It could even be a success that you've rested on because you believe that that's as good as it will ever get. If you practice and live out the words of Paul, your past will inform your understanding of the present. Your past will help you understand where you might go in the future, but it won't constrain you and it won't be your focus. It'll be the thing that helps you understand how God may work, knowing that he may take you down a completely different path. Paul knows one thing is true, that if he is constrained or focused on his past, it could be incredibly harmful. It could trip him up. It could cause him to miss what God is doing. For some of us, our past could be as recent as yesterday or 10 years ago or maybe 
what seems like a lifetime ago. But past will always keep you looking back. And God is always doing something in the present and unfolding it towards the future. And so for some of you, this will be a verse that you'll need to carry with you this week. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, my focus is forward, and I strain towards what is ahead. In other words, I'm leaning forward. My attention is on what God is up to down the road. In May of 1954, some of you with a, an athletic understanding of history, you'll, you'll remember this. Roger Bannister, uh, an Englishman, he ran the very first sub four minute mile. In fact, this is a, a picture of, of Roger crossing the finish line. He was 25, he was a med student, uh, he was studying in London. He had just finished a shift at St. Mary's Hospital, and uh, he went late afternoon, trained to Oxford, had a little late lunch with some friends, and in the afternoon, later in the afternoon, ran a one-mile race. It was a cloudy day, about like it is today in Castle Rock, a little wet, a little damp, pretty typical for Oxford. And when he crossed the finish line and crossed the tape that you see there in the picture, the clock read three minutes, 59 seconds, and four tenths. It was an incredible moment in history. It was a, a barrier that people thought could never be broken. And just in this normal day, very unauspicious moment in sports history, he ran the mile in less than four minutes. And then one month later, Australian John Landy, he ran a mile in less than four minutes as well. In fact, he beat... Uh, Bannister's record by 1.4 seconds. Then, interestingly, in August, that same year, uh, the two met at the British Empire Games. It happened in Vancouver, Canada. Get a shout-out from Josh. There we go. And uh, they ran in a race at the British Empire Games. The, the, of course, the press and all those paying attention. There have been two sub-four-minute miles run in the history of all athletics that we were aware of. And these two would be matched up at the Empire Games. It was being billed in Vancouver and around the world as the Miracle Mile, as the race of the century. And so they took off. There was about eight people that ran the race. And, of course, Landy and uh, Bannister set themselves apart very early on in the race. And Landy was leading most of the way. In fact, near the end of the race, he had about... a Oh, maybe a five feet, six, seven feet gap between him and Roger Bannister. Now, Landy was faster than Bannister. He had bested him by 1.4 seconds, but as a runner, people knew that he had speed that Bannister didn't have. Bannister, however, was well known and legendary for his kick, his kick at the end of a race. And Landy knew this. And as they were coming around the corner, of the final lap, um, this is a picture of the two of them coming around that corner. They're not far from the finish line. Landy could not help himself, and he began to look over his left shoulder. Now, they're coming around a bend, and Landy believes if, uh, if Bannister's behind him at all, he can catch a glimpse of where he is. Now, he broke the cardinal rule of running. You never, ever, ever look back but he couldn't help it. 
as he looked over his left shoulder, he did not know that Bannister's kick had been fueled and he was now passing him on his other side. So he looks over his left shoulder, Bannister begins to pass him, he kicks it in, and Bannister wins the race. Two runners that day ran a sub-four-minute mile for the third and fourth time in history. So these two gentlemen, but Bannister bested him because Landy looked back. And when he looked back, his stride had just a tiny bit of a hiccup. Most people wouldn't have even noticed it. This very moment, this precise moment, is memorialized in a bronze statue that now sits in Vancouver. And it's the very portion that they're in. It's the, this, this moment when Landy decides to look back. And what Paul says to the Philippians, who are in Macedonia, the area of Greece and Athens, and of course they understand the athletic world extremely well, he uses that analogy by saying this, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what is head. Are you constrained or are you focused on your past? Is it getting in the way? Is it informing how you are processing what you're experiencing during this very unprecedented time? It's what is ahead that matters most for Paul. Is that what matters most for you? What is in the way? It could be a grudge, bitterness, even success. The hope is that you would and I would heed Paul's words. And then he says this again, second time. He says, press on. So I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So the question that we ought to wrestle with today, if we're willing to set the past behind us, if we're willing to strain forward to what is ahead, what does it mean to press on? What does it mean to press on right now during this season? What does pressing on look like? What does it look like? The other translations that we saw, you remember from the screen, what does it mean to move forward, to make every effort? Paul says it, even while he's chained to Roman guards, if he can say it then, we can say it now. On some days, pressing on looks like that we're willing to just get out of bed. And maybe for you, that's success on a given day. For some of us, pressing on means that we've learned to hold our tongue and not say everything that we think. Maybe it's listening thoughtfully to a coworker or a friend or a family member over the phone or through a video conference. Maybe it's being thoughtfully present and allowing somebody to explode in such a way that they just let all sort of emotional shrapnel fly, but you simply receive it and love them in that setting. Maybe it's forgiving someone. Maybe it's trusting God with an uncertain future and pushing anxiety aside and knowing and believing that God is with you regardless of the circumstances. Maybe it's taking some of what you have and some of what you value and giving it away to somebody else so that they can experience your generosity in the name of Jesus and either eat, or pay their bills, pay their mortgage, whatever it is. What does it look like for you and I to press on? I'm sure of this, a couple of things. 
it will look different for me than it looks for you. But if we seek God and we ask this question, how do I press on? How do I move forward? How do I know that my identity is in Christ and him alone and that he has taken hold of all of this for me and yet I still have to make every effort to lean into his grace and his mercy and live out the nature of his love in every relationship I've got, then every day I press on. Now, this is where the athletic imagery fights our current circumstances because it might not mean that we win the race today. But if it means that you and I put one foot in front of the other, even if it takes us most of the day to do it, then we're moving forward. We are pressing on. Remember, Paul said, I've not obtained it. I'm just working at it, same as you. And so maybe I'll offer this statement as a collective hope and dream, passion and desire for us as a church. Here's what we will do. I'll do this. If you'll do it, maybe we'll join together. We will not give up. We will continue to press on. We will decide that we will move forward every day, even if it is inch by inch. Some days maybe more. Some days we can maybe uh, conquer the world, but most days we're just trying to get through. But we will not give up. We will not lose the plot. We will remember the centrality of the plot, that God is at work, that he is about good things. We will remember that the greatest expression of our faith is love. And this expression, this understanding of love, this is agape love. It is a practical expression of placing somebody else's needs ahead of your own and allowing that love to show up in ways that it is felt and experienced by the recipient of that love. In other words, if it's not experienced as love, then it's something else and so we will remember that the greatest expression of our faith is always love. Love to God and love to our friends and neighbors, enemies, anyone else that we find in our path. And we will do all of this because we know that God is reconciling all things to himself. Remember Colossians chapter 1. And he has invited us to participate in that work. Now, if we can remember this, then we can press on. Now, our hope is that we can live this out this week. We're not used to being around people. Our people skills have waned a bit over the last two and a half months. And so this week, you might find yourself in social settings, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I, I have forgotten what love looks like. Not necessarily how to love, but what it looks like in the context of a relationship, a conversation listening instead of talking, giving instead of taking. And so as we begin to open up, as we are around others dealing with anxiety and fear and insecurities, may we be the ones that bring peace. May we be the ones that bring something of Jesus into every interaction. And may we trust and believe that Jesus has made us his own. Our identity is secure. It's in him and we can press on, not earning our salvation, but living in the truth that God has given us everything that we need. Let's pray. Lord, this is our hope and prayer that we would live this out this week. Lord, we are confident that you will give each one of us numerous opportunities 
to be your hands and feet, to be light, to be salt, to love well. Our hope and prayer is that we would press on in ways that would allow your son to be seen for who he is, the gracious and merciful Savior that brought us into a reconciled relationship with you, God. And as we do that, may you be glorified. As Jesus said, when he is lifted up, he will draw all people to him. This is our hope and our prayer, that all, including us, would know Jesus deeply and intimately. And it's in the power of his name that we all pray. Amen.